Good, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, very happy to be back in Hong Kong after spending a little part of my life here 10 years ago, and happy to see some friends uh, after those 10 years. Um, and I'm uh, very thankful to uh, the Kubrick team and Ming in particular, who's been doing like just a <laughs> gigantic work for this event. Uh, and uh, one part of these works that I'm particularly thankful for is to have invited Sonia here, Sonia Wong, uh, to be to be with us tonight. Um, and we'll be joined uh, we'll be joined in a few minutes by uh, Tim Jack, uh, who is really optimizing her stay in Hong Kong since she's currently presenting uh, her book undocumented uh, at uh, HKU right now. So she'll, she'll be with us soon. Um, so the, the, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce the, the magazine for um, a little while. Uh, maybe it doesn't need to be that strong. I don't know. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm gonna be introduce, introducing the magazine first in its global form, so to speak, and then a little bit more within the content. Uh, and then uh, Sonia has been kind enough to. Uh, Propose a discussion uh, around around uh, those topics and and the relationship with her her own work, uh, uh, which I'm super excited and thankful for. Um, and then Tings will present uh, both her work and her contribution to the fourth issue of the magazine. Uh, so maybe to introduce a little bit the, the what is the Phenobilist as a global editorial project. It's, it started uh, as a blog online. Uh, and it, it's still currently uh, operative. It's it's more my own work of research, so it's very it's very uh, non-rigorous, but uh, both in the form and the content. But hopefully, it articulates a few ideas about uh, a, along the line of um, what I like to call the politics of space and bodies, um, uh, uh, how the built environment. Uh, influences the politics of our society, our society being uh, a society of bodies uh, with some uh, relationship of power within these societies that are operating. Um, and this blog was, uh, in 2013, was uh, augmented by a podcast, um, precisely because my work, I don't, find, I don't think my work is very rigorous uh, uh, and, and it's touches a lot of topics, but not necessarily much in depth, whereas all those people that I've been interviewing since 2013, so there's about 125 people in total, um, all those people are really, really going into depth uh, uh, in the topics that they are, they are uh, engaging with, so it's been, it's, been a great, uh, uh, it's been a great thing for me to do, I mean, I've, I've learned so much from those people, uh, and somehow that started my uh, activity as an editor that, uh, oh yeah, well yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, it's just that Tings is very, is, is great, is a great example to, to talk about what I do because she, we collaborated on so many, so many things, so we did, we did one of those podcasts together. Uh, and then another work of, well those are the books I brought to myself actually, so uh, uh, books about uh, the, the violence of architecture and the political uh, intrinsicness of architecture, and in particular, 
one of the main topics that comes back quite often is a, is a situation of apartheid in Palestine. Uh, but as I was saying, the podcast uh, uh, was a first uh, articulation of uh, edition. And those, those two, which were two books with um, uh, curated, curated essays by uh, guest, uh, guest contributors, so you can see that it's already a sort of genealogy of the, of the magazine. And Tings was also part of it, and she brought a, she brought a great text uh, uh, that, that is part of the second volume. Uh, and then we, uh, about a bit more than a year ago, I tried to uh, I tried to engage with a new form, which is a form of the magazine that comes out every two months. So something that, something that's quite intense. Um, but each time that I propose a topic uh, and that is being written within this uh, editorial line of politics of space and body, so I'll, I'll, I'll go into details a little bit more right after. Uh, but I think I'm always interested also in talking about not just the politics of contents, but the politics of the form itself. What does that mean to make a magazine and what are the decisions that need to be taken that are also political? Uh, what does that mean to what does that mean to have a business to run through this magazine and with uh, you know when you come from a fairly uh, uh, leftist uh, point of view on the world it's it's something uh, running a business is not exactly the, the the kind of phrase you 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 thought you'd be using some days but uh, it's actually quite interesting as well in how in the in the decisions that needs to be taken in this in this uh, dimension of things that are also highly political. I mean, we were talking about that just before. In um, uh, how much does the magazine cost, for example, uh, in the U.S. versus in Pakistan? Uh, so uh, that's one of the one of the aspects. Uh, how much are contributors being paid? Because there's many publications where uh, people are not being even paid for for it. Uh, uh, honestly, in these publications, they're not being paid a lot, but uh, I'm trying at least that no one ever works for, for nothing. Uh, and uh, so all those kind of decisions that have nothing to do with content quite yet, but that, that, are, uh, that are very important in the sort of, in the politics of forms again, um, you know, doing, yeah, so what does that mean to do your account, accounting every, every month? I mean, it seems like such a tedious thing, but it's... It, it also has, again, when it when it's part of a when it's part of a whole project, I think it makes so much more sense and it becomes very interesting. Um, now, turning a little bit more about where where the forms meet contents. Um, thank you so much. Um, what are what are the places that we're talking about? I mean, you know, not not every magazine needs to be needs to be speaking about it everywhere. Uh, it's not it's not at all the, the point here, but. That could be one aspect of things. Is that what, what are what are the geographies discussed within this magazine? So here is a map of the seven first issues uh, articles. Uh, I like the map. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I take this map as both a, a source of satisfaction, thinking that it's with it's not too focused on one place or the other, but I also take it as a source of dissatisfaction because you can see that there's still much more concentration in some places rather than some others. So uh, it's, it's a tool for me to also see where we should be talking next. And uh, not the next issue, but the issue after that will be about islands. So in a sudden, the entire map will shift towards the Pacific and Pacific Ocean and the Indian Ocean. So 
there's also a shift of, uh, of the things we're looking at, uh, which I, I'm trying to, to work on. It's not always easy, and it always requires uh, an exercise of uh, self-critic. But um, so I mean, this is this is for the what, but the uh, who is who is speaking, who is writing as well is very important. How we're trying to uh, ha have writers that do not reinforce the dominant narratives. Uh, um, and uh, and uh, that that maybe propose an alternative to to the to those dominant narratives we are always confronted to uh, in various uh, in various media. Um, and uh, one last aspect of the forum that I'd like to talk about is this kind of events that always makes me very very happy and uh, that always uh, I find always very encouraging, especially when there's a great turnout. So. Uh, and, and even more so when, when I'm able to do that with, uh, with a few guests. Uh, so I'm always, I'm always very uh, happy when it happens. So uh, there's, been, there's been quite a few, quite a few of them. But so jumping now in uh, more the, the sort of granularity of, uh, of each of those issues, I mean, I'll, I'll go through them quite fast. I'm trying to time myself to not go okay. overboard. No, no, I'm, I'm, I, can, I can get a bit overboard. So I, uh, <laughs> Um, so the, the very first issue was about militarized cities, um, and each time, each time, uh, each issue is trying to have one main editorial argument, and then the articles are bringing one aspect of this uh, of this line. But obviously, the argument is something I try to do as an editor, but uh, uh, it's also doing so while working with those fantastic. Uh, Contributors that uh, again like know their topic really in depth. Um, so in this, in the case of these issues, the idea was to say, okay, militarized cities. When we say militarized cities, we're thinking about those quite uh, fairly obvious cities. I mean, you know, Jerusalem, Lahore, Beirut, Cairo. But more globally, we should be trying to think of every single city that somehow in the way it operates and somehow in the way it's being designed and it's being built have, contains a certain uh, policing or militarized logic within it. So in the end, it's pretty much every city that has a police, therefore every city. Uh, and, uh, and when cities have been knowing historically a certain amount of uh, political conflict and, or war, civil war, kind of situation, uh, then obviously the, the militarized logics within those cities are, are, even, more, uh, are even more intense. Uh, uh, so I mean, for, for example, in, uh, in this issue, there was an article about Oakland in, uh, in California. Uh, so, you know, California doesn't quite sound like Jerusalem or Beirut, but actually Oakland is, uh, is one of the main cities of the history of African-American uh, political struggles. And because of that, the police is partic has particularly taken uh, uh, drastic measures and drastic uh, logic to, um, to design the, the downtown area of Oakland. So it, it was also very interesting to see how it might not exactly look as an aesthetic from an aesthetic point of view like Jerusalem, but somehow you, you can find the same logic of controls of bodies and controls of vehicles and the sort of par paranoid scenario of attacks and this kind of thing. Uh, the second issue was about uh, suburban geographies. Um, uh, 
so I'm 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 based uh, I'm based in Paris myself. Uh, I mean, I've been I've been moving around, but uh, Paris is where I've been studying as well, and and it remains one of the main uh, place where my research takes me. Uh, and the suburbs of Paris, in particular, are are a very crucial point of political intensity because um, that's that's where the that's where the working class are have been have been uh, segregated to, but also the, the population that comes from uh, uh, the former colonies of the French Empire. Uh, so mostly people coming from uh, North Africa and West Africa, but also a whole range of uh, non-white population uh, and uh, what we may call racialized uh, population by the uh, by the structures of the state itself. Um, this issue came also uh, still from a French point of view. It came exactly. It was it was uh, launched exactly ten years after the big French uh, the big French suburbs revolts from two thousand five, um, where we saw a lot of young people. Uh, being absolutely fed up with uh, this segregated system, and uh, decided to uh, decided to revolt against uh, the, those uh, uh, structural racist logics. Uh, and I, I use the term revolt uh, on purpose, uh, in opposition to the, the word of riots that is usually being used. Um, and so it was a way to look at the French suburbs, but also in dialogue with other suburbs of the world. So in that case, uh, uh, the American suburbia and, uh, and uh, the suburbs of Ramallah in Palestine, um, uh, suburbs of Sao Paulo, of Brasilia, uh, and uh, a, few other, a few other places that obviously has all their own specific politics at work. But follows from a spatial point of view, follows always the same logic of segregation. Sometimes it is it is imposed segregation. It's like let's let's get let's get the, the poorest part of, of the of the city residents on one on one side or let's get all the non-white on one side which usually are are connected. Uh, or it is a logic of uh, self-segregation that comes from uh, the highest social class that decide to move outside the city centers and to create a, all, all sorts of gated communities and, and uh, uh, self-exclusion uh, typologies. Uh, the third issue was dealing with a whole uh, other scale of design and I think that's something I would, I'm, I'm very eager to do as well is to de-hierarchize uh, the disciplines uh, not think like uh, ur urban design and architecture are kind of like the noble discipline that uh, that uh, prevail on, on uh, uh, disciplines like industrial design or fashion design. Uh, the scale of the scale of clothing is extremely interesting in the politics of uh, of bodies that it involved. And uh, I never present this issue without saying that I'm, I'm, uh, this. This sort of critical reading of clothing is, is was very much uh, uh, we might not go as far as saying invented by uh, two friends, Mimi Tianyuan and Minha Tifam, uh, who are both contributors to this issue. So it was really great to have them both in it. Um, I think and uh, and so what what what. 
how, how does uh, clothing relate to logics of racial logics, gender logics? Uh, even uh, even in the case of a student project, uh, um, uh, disability logic, um, and how does it relate to the law as well? I mean, each time I try to write an introduction to the topic, and in, in this case, I was particularly interested in the laws that determine uh, how much or how little clothing you should be wearing. With a strong, once again, a strong focus on France, because France is one of the only countries that says you should be wearing more clothing to saying that to Muslim women in particular. Um, and so lo looking, at, looking at all those dimensions that makes uh, clothing a, a intrinsically political within society. Um, the fourth issue is actually the issue that uh, Ting's participated to, so I'm going to talk, talk about it, but I think she'll, she'll get back to it as well. Um, it was an issue about, about prisons, to put it simply, but uh, I didn't want to call it prisons because I wanted it to be a little bit wider. And so it ended up being called carceral environment, which is a little bit more uh, uh, fancy, uh, fancy maybe, but uh, complicated maybe at least. But, uh, but it was really a way to show as well how architecture is very much responsible of those logics, you know. Architects might not have invented the prison, the, uh, the, the, the political system in which we have prisons, uh, but they are fundamentally responsible of the system by providing uh, the, the, the sine qua non condition for, uh, for prisons to be implemented, which is architecture, which is the wall, really. Um, and so it was a way to responsibilize architects within that, but again, not just through prison, as in uh, prisons from the from the sort of crimin criminological uh, system, but also um, uh, also uh, as as we will see with things in in the case of migrant detention center, as we see many uh, in uh, Australia, Europe, and, and North America right now. Uh, I mean, she looks in particular at the Canadian one because that's where she lives, but in that case, she worked with uh, Sarah Turnbull in the UK to talk about it. Um, but also political prison in, uh, in Ireland, for example, or prisons in Canada, uh, I mean, boarding schools in Canada were that, um, whose, whose uh, pupils were uh, Native, Native American, I mean, the First Nations. Uh, that were kidnapped uh, from their parents to, to be put in schools to be civilized. Uh, and that's something that Canada has been trying to work on its, on its own history. It did a Truth and Reconciliation Commission that, uh, to a certain degree, can be said was not so successful, but at least they talked about it. That whereas the US had the exact same system, but actually never fully addressed it. Uh, and also the, the state of exception uh, type of prison, like Guantanamo Bay. Um, and a very important conversation at the, in the middle of the of the issue. Each time I have like some main articles and one transcript of a podcast uh, from the the podcast I showed you at the beginning. And this one was with Nasrin Imada, and we talked about uh, prison abolitionism. So the idea of not no longer having any prisons in our society, and how this is not. Um, and, and in this conversation, I, I, I don't know if I play or if I am, but uh, I am the person who, who kind of immediately, you know, says, yeah, okay, but no prison, okay, but then what do, what do we do? And, 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 it's, uh, and that's been very clearly and cleverly uh, 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 
present things about how this is not just about taking a system and replacing it with another, but it's, 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 it involves more process of community, uh, community work and, uh, and thinking before what you might call the crime rather than rather than after thinking thinking in terms of prevention rather than in terms of punishment so it's it's a very important uh, conversation in the in the uh, in in this issue because it's really it's really the editorial line comes from here and maybe to uh, so that's that's a piece from uh, things and sarah uh, things usually work in terms of graphic essays as you can see but again, she'll, she'll talk about that uh, when she'll be here. Um, so she was, she, they were uh, uh, illustrating and collecting uh, stories from the uh, Migrant Detention Center in, in the UK. Again, she'll, she'll get back to it. So. And maybe to already talk a little bit more about the structure that sort, that sort of comes back one way or another for every issue. Uh, the way it works is that I usually have uh, for reasons that has to do with <laughs> the French Ministry of Culture, actually, it's, it's quite funny. It's like they they are asking to have uh, a section that is not related to the main topic, so uh, uh, for for it to be considered as a press. So uh, anyway, that's not very interesting. But uh, but it's 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 I guess it's interesting to go back to the forms and see how uh, there are so many administrative layer as well. You you need to deal with uh, you know even healthcare and these kind of things. That you never really think about when when you see the final product, but that kind of influence one way or another the, the contents of it. Uh, so I always have like opinion pieces now starting uh, starting the issue about about completely different topic, but that usually relates to one particular political struggle somewhere in the world. So I mean, if we just take here the uh, the the struggle the political struggle of the Muslim minority uh, in Bombay. Or uh, the, the the Balkan the Balkan uh, corridor humanitarian corridor in uh, in the uh, in uh, former Yugoslavia uh, in relationship to the to the migrants and refugees, and uh, I also have a photographic uh, section each time, and also a student a student section that was something very important for me. I mean, I was I was at school not such a long time ago, and I, I think at school uh, and the, the few teachers that are here won't contradict that. I think. Uh, at school, there is a, a, a very, very whether it's architecture, design, or uh, photography, it doesn't matter. Art, uh, there is always a, a much higher degree of creativity that we might think we, we might be seeing in the professional world. So, it was important for me to also take to consider student projects related to the topic of the issue. Uh, the fifth issue was a very, very important one for me. Uh, it tried to look at the way design. Uh, was um, providing the conditions for structural racism to be implemented. Uh, and just like I said about the prisons, is that uh, architects and designers did not invent, uh, as a profession, did not invent racism, and they did not uh, invent the, the sort of structures of a state that uh, implements uh, racism, but they are fundamentally responsible for it, again, for providing the spatial conditions for this racism to, to be implemented. Um, uh, so we looked at a, a few, a few situations on the cover and on the poster, of, uh, on the, poster uh, of the event tonight. There was a situation in Calais that, uh, uh, that I know relatively well for having been there 
a few times. Um, uh, so Calais being like the closest city in France from the UK, and where there is currently 10,000 people living in um, something that can be defined as a town, uh, a very makeshift town with many problems within it, but also with a real sense of urbanity. And within this town, uh, the town, part of the town has been destroyed and, and part of it has been replaced by a container camps that you can see, and you can see here as well, uh, where people are being parked into those shipping boxes uh, 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 as, as an accommodation, which is obviously uh, uh, something that would never have happened if uh, uh, refugees would come from Norway or from any other predominantly white nation. Um, we, also, we also had an article about um, a city in uh, South Dakota, a rapid, rapid city, where uh, the, city, the city was actually, um, uh, the city, the American city is uh, actually, was built in uh, violation of uh, treaties with, uh, with the Lakota uh, native nation. Uh, and there is a certain amount of, of residents in the city that is uh, native. And, uh, and Nick Estes, uh, the writer, uh, show, show how, much the, how much the city itself and, and the police within it are um, um, making, making their life hell on a daily basis. Uh, uh, but th again, through a spatial uh, look. Uh, historically, historically as well, there was a, a great collaboration, um, I mean not collaboration, but a great uh, dialogue between the drawings of uh, Rashida Phillips and, uh, and a text by uh, Eze Imado uh, about uh, the historical example of the slave ship, which for me is a paradigm of design and racism, because uh, again, architects did not invent slavery, but if you don't have ships to bring 9 million people, 12 million people, sorry, from the coast of Africa to, to the coast of Brazil or, or the United States or America in general, uh, slavery cannot exist as it existed uh, for 200 years. Um, looking also at Palestine, as it often happens, looking at the French, uh, French structural racism as well, and as well as the reminiscence of uh, South Africa, apartheid. Um, with again student projects, a case study, uh, opinion common. Um, getting closer from uh, from now, um, the sixth issue was about objects, which is which was also something uh, a little bit like the closing scale. It was a way to rethink the scale as we were looking with, uh, at which we were looking at um, at all those questions. Um, and so objects, uh, also without really defining what is an object, what, when does an object start to become architecture, those kind of questions are completely irrelevant in the, in the editorial uh, take of the magazine. Um, so it went from something you might be expecting, uh, some urban furniture in relation, to, in, in relation to gender or in relation to the way the city is being experienced, whether it's in Paris or in, in uh, Cairo. Um, an object like the container, uh, the shipping container, um, what, are, what are the politics embedded within it, but also an object like the banana, uh, 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 which might seem like this very innocuous, 
innocuous object. You might you might be thinking maybe the way of cultivating, harvesting bananas might be political, and you would be right. But as there's much more to it as well, and, uh, in the way also it uh, takes part within the whole uh, racist narrative uh, and uh, highly sexualized narrative. Um, uh, uh, I mean, sexualized uh, uh, sexism in in that case. Um, and uh, and again, uh, some very interesting student project. One of one of which is uh, situated in the, the island of Lesbos in uh, in Greece, so right next to right next to Turkey, where where a certain amount of uh, refugees from Syria are, are arriving. Uh, and each time, some uh, opinion opinion pieces about current uh, current political struggles. Um, and that. That leads us to the to the current issue, um, the one of September October uh, two thousand sixteen. That was about um, health related political struggles, uh, and not trying to think just of health as um, as the thing that prevents us from dying, so to speak, or the things that that has to do with uh, with the operativeness or the non operativeness of our bodies, but how all the biological aspect of our bodies is also highly politicized. Uh, 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 so maybe to give a few examples, uh, uh, instead of doing an introduction in, the, in this one, I actually decided to do a few vignette, vignettes uh, where, because there was some work that I wanted to talk about that uh, could not end up being a uh, cont contribution to the magazine, sadly. Uh, it was quite a hard issue to come up with because uh, there's been some uh, there's been some pieces that were going to exist and did not at the end. But uh, for example, talking about the, the book that uh, Alan Joan Nelson wrote about the the entire alternative healthcare that the Black Panther Party created in the 1970s uh, in the U.S. Um, uh, of course, going against the terrible healthcare system in the U.S., but also the the, the inherent uh, structural racism uh, uh, linked to it. And creating an entire uh, an entire uh, 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 healthcare system, and we're lucky to have Tinks arriving with us. <laughs> you want to come sit with us? Yeah. Hi. <laughs> uh, I'm almost done. <laughs> uh, also, also looking, look, uh, having articles about how. Um, how much every de design decisions is influenced by the idea of a standardized body, and and sometimes you know sort of collective in consciousness, but also sometimes in a very uh, explicit uh, manner with with um, uh, with drawings of uh, how how tall a body and standard body is supposed to be, for example, which. Also brings uh, obviously a lot of uh, gender logics, and some sometimes this this uh, gender separation being uh, incorporated. But uh, in the case of, uh, for example, a designer like Henry Dreyfus uh, 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 in the U.S., that would that would also mean that uh, uh, some objects would be designed around the standardized male body, and some other objects would be designed around the standardized female body. With obviously, you can think that. Uh, 
the chair, the chair of a tank, uh, of an army tank, would be designed around the male body, uh, whereas uh, an, an iron, uh, an iron would be would be designed around the, the female standard hand. Uh, so all this sort of loop of design influencing the influencing the, the logics of power, which itself re-influences design, and so on and so on. Um, a very important article uh, by Laurie Brown, who's uh, an architect in uh, uh, in the U.S. Um, who use her architectural skill uh, expertise, which is something that I find very interesting, uh, to 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 represent the way Texas was um, uh, the state of Texas was trying basically was trying to make abortion clinics an impossible uh, 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 who was trying to ban abortion but could not do so because of the, the Supreme Court having ruled. On it, but somehow we're trying to use a building code to make to make uh, abortion clinics absolutely absolutely impossible to to exist. Uh, and so uh, Laurie actually drew the conditions um, uh, of of uh, stipulated in within this uh, building code to to be able to to have an operative abortion clinic and show the sort of ridiculousness of it. Uh, uh, and um, and so she's talking. She's talking both about the law and about this work within these articles, and I find extremely useful. Um, one article was written by Ben Borgu about uh, hunger strikes in uh, in prisons, in political prisons in particular, uh, whether in Ireland, in Ireland, or in Turkey, or also uh, in the beginning of 20th century in the in the historical struggle of the suffragettes in. Uh, in the UK, for women to get the votes to rights, and the force force feeding that was uh, the force feeding that was subsequent to, to those hunger strikes. Uh, an article uh, by Chegoset about the um, HIV criminalization ah that's hard to say criminalization laws in the US that um, that uh, uh, that tend to that tend to bring charges, uh, criminal charges against uh, uh, people who do not um, uh, disclose their the fact that they are HIV, HIV positive to their uh, potential partners and in general to society. And, and an article by uh, Noemi Lombard uh, about uh, what she called minor bodies, um, uh, a sort of autobiographical accounts on uh, the medical speeches towards disability uh, and how the, the use of words uh, somehow um, uh, I mean I don't want to get too technical but uh, you know that's uh, for that's that's something that Judith Butler talks a lot about uh, in terms of gender how how the fact of saying uh, you know uh, this is a boy or this is a girl Will will actually make uh, the boy or the girl in that case is uh, in that case it's uh, uh, this this person is disabled and, and uh, this person will never walk and and somehow the power of, of uh, medical speech in this uh, in this issue and obviously the spatial condition being fundamentally oriented to uh, around the able body. Um, there is also a long interview in this uh, in this issue uh, that has a lot to do with architecture for the, the most architectural people of you. Uh, uh, an interview with Momoyo Oma in uh, in Tokyo. Uh, 
I mean, about the work of uh, artists and philosophers and poets and architects, uh, Arakawa and Madeleine Gins, who were trying to design an architecture for people not to die anymore. So very interesting, uh, very interesting piece. And then, uh, as usual, uh, uh, some student project, one of which uh, is uh, about uh, do-it-yourself gain ecology that uh, maybe Sonia will react to because she was curious about it. Uh, and I do think that it brings me to uh, the end of my, of my part here. And uh, as I say, I'm, uh, I'm extremely uh, lucky and happy to have uh, Sonia and Tiggs here to, to engage into this dialogue, and as well as, as yourself too. So once, once we are all done presenting uh, what we have to present, uh, please uh, 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 ask questions or <laughs> give us comments, and because that's always, that's always the most important, interesting part. Uh, of, of this kind of event. So anyway, uh, here for another interesting part, we have Sonia Wong. Would you be okay? I can present. Yeah. No, I don't. You're, you're fine? Do you want me to go right now? I mean, I guess it would make more sense, but I also wanted you to be able to, to breathe. Yeah, I'm breathing. You're breathing? Okay. Breathing. All right, well, go for it. Take it away. Don't worry, I'm breathing. <laughs> um, yeah. Hi everyone, sorry for being late. Um, I guess maybe I have the three images from this that maybe we can pull up. Oh, that's all? Have you have the three pages? Okay. Uh, you know, the benefit of having something written in a magazine is that you can always read what you've written. And you're probably more articulate when you've thought it out than when you just arrived. Um, I, maybe I'll talk a little bit. First of all, I'll just say... Thanks to Leopold for inviting me. Um, I have known Leopold for a couple of years. I was one of those fans from a distance, you know, being like longtime reader, first time caller. Um, where I, one summer day in Montreal, Canada, I decided to write a little fan email to Leopold and I was like, hey, love your work. Um, you know, I loved your book, Weaponized Architecture, and you're really cool. Thanks, bye. And so happens that Leopold responds and says, oh, I'm in Montreal, like, tomorrow. Do you want to meet? And we met and have been friends and have collaborated, and he's invited me to participate in the magazine and podcasts and, and written about some of the work I've done. So it's been lovely. And we, again, maybe similarly to how we first met a couple of years ago, was that, I was like, are you in Hong Kong? He's like, are you in Hong Kong? It's like, yeah, I'm doing an event on Thursday. I'm doing an event on Thursday, too. <laughs> anyway, so it happens. It's the story of our lives, and I hope we have these random encounters in various parts of the world. And so I guess I'll talk a little bit about the piece I was able to contribute uh, with the collaborator, Sarah Turnbull, in, I guess, issue, how many issues ago? Issues four uh, on carceral geographies. Um, so Sarah Turnbull is an academic and at, for a while was uh, based in Oxford, but now is just in London. I don't remember her new um, institution. Uh, so she does a lot of work with immigration detainees in the UK. And for me, um, I've been organizing uh, with uh, immigration detainees in the Canadian context for the last several years, um, uh, working in movements um, including um, known as illegal in Toronto. And so what we do... Um, is uh, a fight for um, 
against detentions and deportations of people who are undocumented or who have precarious immigration status. Uh, we also uh, work around services for um, basic services for uh, people who are precarious status, who are undocumented, um, and then work to build relationships between migrant communities and indigenous communities, uh, talking about shared um, struggles uh, against capitalism, against colonialism, against the forces of displacement that produce, um, you know, migrants in the first place. And so her and I um, were able to. Uh, work on a piece and it was definitely very experimental uh, she's coming from an academic context and coming from an activist context but she has access to a lot of spaces and detainees in a way that a lot of activists don't um, because she has that you know the academic hat on and so we're trying to figure out how we can use some of those experiences um, and stories and translate them into a, a visual form um, of what you see behind us and so what you what I'm going to share here it's just a few pages um, is the experiences in immigration detention, particularly three detention centers, three out of the nine detention centers in the UK. In Canada, as with the UK, immigration detention is indefinite, which means that people are jailed on administrative grounds, because this is not criminal law, um, indefinitely. So they're held without charges or without trial, as you might see in the criminal system, uh, for the processes of being deported. And um, many people can't be deported for various reasons, um, and that's where the indefinite nature comes in. So some of the people I've been organizing with, some comrades, have been in detention for many years because, for instance, the, uh, Canada can't uh, get travel documents from their country of origin. A lot of people arrive when they're very young um, and they don't have uh, any connection back to the place. The, the country of origin doesn't even recognize them as being from there. Um, and so people can't be deported. Some people are refugees. So if you've gone refugee status, you can't be deported back to a place where you are facing persecution. And among various reasons why people get trapped into the system of detention. And so I come from an architecture background, and some of the work that I've been doing is trying to visualize these spaces that undocumented people are being locked up in, but also the spaces themselves are undocumented in the sense that we can't visit them, there's no photos, there's no drawings, it's really hard to access. So, and that's intentional, and that's part of the system. Um, so maybe I, if it's okay, I can just read it. I mean, everyone likes comics, right? So it's okay, I'll just read. Um, when you are inducted into a detention center, your belongings are surgically sorted into piles. Prohibited. Prohibited things are sealed in envelopes until release. Appropriate. They made derisive comments based on her race and gender. Her clothing, her medication, displayed across the table. Her name was Ming, and of course we've anonymized the names, uh, coming from China. Arrival date, unknown. Prison sentence, unknown. Detention length, unknown. Date of release, unknown. And because of her lack of appropriate clothing, they gave her an emergency clothes pack and three forms to review and sign. Many people are sent directly to immigration detention after completing their prison sentences, bringing their possessions with them. Unlike prison, there is no charge or trial, nor sentence. People are held indefinitely. Owning things is complicated in a place like this that is not your home. But in order to survive, somehow, is a kind of resistance. I quote, my day-to-day -day is the same. I'm in a maze. I feel like a rat. This is a big business, but people don't seem to know that. 
like work, work, meditate, gym, and just communicate with people. Because if I didn't, I would have just gone mad a long time ago, man. I would have lost the plot. This is from Antoine, 35, from the Gambia. Arrived in the UK in 1992, prison sentence, four years. Detention length, 12 months. Date of release, unknown. These are his most prized possessions. This is a PS3. To stay in touch with people, a phone, and to take his mind off of detention, the Godfather. I also like to just note that in prison, in detention centers around the world, it's very different. Like, for instance, in Canada, people don't have personal possessions like this, where you can have a PS3 or a phone or access to internet. Regardless of what the, you know, let's say the subtle differences of what one can own, that is not really the purpose. I think of the conversation in revealing these spaces is talking about why people are in detention in the first place, not whether or not a detainee should have access to PS3. Some people just want to survive, finding some kind of peace in the everyday. And I quote, because I've been in prison for a long time, like from a young age as well, I'm just pretty used to being by myself. I can just sit down, switch off, just chill out. You know what I mean? This is from Michael, 23, from Rwanda. Arrived in the UK in 1999 with his parents. Prison sentence, five years, eight months. Detention length, three months. Date of release, unknown. And I quote, some people just get high. Some people just stay in their rooms. Some people go nuts. I'm cool, man. I'm headstrong. Some people refuse to make a home out of a place like this. Arthur, 25, from the Congo. Arrived in the UK in 1999. Prison sentence, two years. Detention length, 32 months. Date of release, unknown. And I quote, just, I'm just, it's just like prison, because they take your freedom from you. But obviously, you have the privilege of a mobile phone. But a, nothing is like freedom, isn't it? Freedom is freedom. I just hope they know who they're creating or what they're doing. You know, we human, isn't it? Obviously. I have my children's pictures, but I don't use it no more. I used to look at it. Right now, I don't depend on nothing. It's only when they close your door, you start thinking. I hope they know who they're creating and what they're doing. When people are released or deported or die, many things get left behind. Knowledge, artwork, things. An absence presence, an absence presence. Musa showed other detainees how to make elaborately folded paper swans. He was taught by a Chinese detainee at a different center, who was probably long gone now. He made it look easy. Musa, uh, country of origin, unknown. Guinea or Conakry. Other detainee says he's from the Ivory Coast. Prison sentence, unknown. Detention center, more than two years. And date of release, unknown. He carried around a plastic bag of paper bits past hours cutting, folding, and gluing these paper bits. When, came, when comes their time, some of these swans, some take their swans and others don't. Objects bear witness to lives lived, becoming ghosts that still haunt. And so that's the um, excerpt in the fourth issue of The Funambulist. Um, and of course, I think there'll be conversation after Sonia's presentation if people have questions, and I'd love to talk to you more about it. Um, I think one of the things in this process of doing um, was an interesting collaboration. Uh, basically, she had field notes she gave me. Uh, I kind of tried to think about how some of this could be visual translated. We didn't have any 
photos of the people or the places. So it was a bit of a reconstruction, um, informed by the experiences of people. Um, so there is a little bit of that like reverse kind of construction based on uh, some images I could find, some images that she was able to take inside and then you know imagine what that detention center might look like. Um, and I think also what's important with this piece and the, some of the stories we highlighted in the selection is that many of the people um, do have prison sentences and many people have you know done time and, and as with a lot of people I've worked with and that's to kind of recognize that um, not to fall into the narrative of good immigrant versus bad criminal um, or that there are deserving immigrants and non-deserving immigrants, the people who come in contact with the law. Because when we think about who is it that gets criminalized um, and who is it that come in contact with law who do jail time is not a coincidence. Um, four out of the five stories we heard here are from men from Africa. They're black men who are being profiled uh, often and criminalized so that there is... Um, a commonality and sometimes the movements between doing work around criminal justice and prison justice and immigration don't speak to each other enough um, to talk about how the respective communities are the same that are being targeted by police and state violence. Um, and, so, and so I think it was really important to highlight that there are a lot of people with complicated histories with the law, um, but what happens is a system of double punishment whereby if someone has served their time under the criminal, let's call it injustice system, uh, then they will be subsequently uh, put into another facility uh, to be deported uh, where they are not being charged of anything. So it's a kind of double punishment and perhaps triple punishment when they are deported um, and uh, deported to circumstances uh, of sometimes extreme poverty, sometimes to their deaths as well. Um, so that's what I really want to share today. Um, if people have any questions, we can have a conversation afterwards. Also, I guess it's my turn. Ah, there's a mic. <laughs> Sorry. No, you were talking. Right. I was using my sure. like. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was clear. Oh, okay. So it's my turn. Actually, um, uh, I'm sorry that I didn't have a presentation. I didn't know that I have to have one. But anyway. Yeah. No. So it was. It was kind of. Oh. Okay. Uh, but anyway. Um. I guess like the first thing that I want to say is that I really like the map you presented because like maybe we can go back to the map. Yeah, the map is upside down. Like, like the map is upside down. Like, in contrary to what what we used to see in maps, like the map is upside down. And I think it's a great way to look at the world. Like, you know, in a different, it's like in a in a very different different fashion. And um, I have to confess that I have little knowledge of like most of the issues that are touched upon in the magazine. So that's why I was like all the time when I was reading through it and. Um, and I am like I have met like architects like like exceed the total sum of architects that I know that I know in all my life. So I have very little contact with architecture. But I guess some of, of my research interests do have some intersection with uh, with what uh, Leopold and Ting was dealing with because I work with gender and uh, how lesbians live their life in Hong Kong. And so. It's very interesting, like especially when, when, when I flipped through the health issue, like uh, this issue, and there was an article uh, which you highlighted talked about uh, like the DIY uh, test or DIY like uh, uh, female health care with the fantastic photo. I think I think everyone should take a look at it because um, I want to highlight uh, 
Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I want to highlight the photos with the inside, uh, the interior of the panty. Yeah. 